Greetings and welcome to our latest episode of Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. We are a community-based podcast and radio show in which people of Santa Ana, California, tell us in their own words about the music that means the most to them. I am Elizabeth Le Guin, your program host and director of this project. The project is based on my conviction that we people in the modern world need to learn to listen to one another, and that music and all it brings us is the perfect place to begin. Today's interview is with Kahlo Quinn, whom I was lucky enough to catch a couple of days before she left Santa Ana in August 2020 to begin her college studies in Tennessee. You may recall that we were just coming off the first height of the pandemic at that time, that there was a lot of protest going on over the murders of black folk by police, and that the outcome of the upcoming presidential election was by no means clear. It was a tumultuous time. So I was pretty bowled over by Kahlo's eloquence about her musical choices and what they might mean in the midst of all that tumult. This is a young person with a lot to say. Good morning. It's the 7th of August, 2020. I'm going to ask the interviewee that I have on the line today to introduce themselves. And we're going to talk about some favorite songs. So would you please tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. Thank you for having me. My name is Kahlo Quinn. I am 18 years old, and my preferred pronouns are she, her, hers. And kind of what brought me to Santana is... Um, I used to live in Chicago, but when I was eight, my parents brought my brother and I out here um, because of their work. And so I've been living here ever since. So you've been here over half your life, 10 years. Yeah. Basically, I feel like it's kind of like I have a decade in each chapter and then I kind of move on to a new place or thing or, you know, that's kind of how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, I know you're right at the point of the next move, which we'll talk about in just a second. Yeah. Uh, but I want to start with my three questions. So here's the first. Perfect. Where are you from? And remember, you can answer this in any sense that you wish. It can be physical and literal, or it can be more metaphorical. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm from Chicago, Illinois, in a more physical, literal sense. But also, I kind of took this question in the sense and kind of how I chose my song through it is I'm from, you know, a very loving and safe and supportive, happy family. I was very raised kind of in a very social justice-oriented upbringing. Um, that's kind of how, that's just, that's how my family was, and, and that's, that's who's really developed who I am. So that's, that's kind of where I'm from, I guess. Feel free in this context, if you want to just share with us what the next chapter is looking like at the moment. Yes. So my next chapter is starting very soon. I'm leaving in a little bit more than a week to go to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. So I think my hope, especially during this time, because it is such a, a crazy time with a pandemic and just, you know, really everything that's happening with our president and just in the world, it's really, there's a lot going on. And so starting this new chapter, kind of my hopes is to just remember that there is good in the world and that there's love in the world. And, you know, that it's these new chapters that kind of 
remind us of why we're living and why we keep going. And so I think in that new chapter, I'm just trying to just keep moving and, but also look, you know, look at the world from a different place and in a different chapter. So, yeah. (laughs) Wow. I feel your excitement. I can feel it coming across the line. It's actually cool because I feel like, I mean, I listen to music all the time and it's such a part of my life, but I've never been the kind of person to like, when someone's like, oh, what's your favorite artist and things like that? I always have trouble. I'm like, I like all music, you know, but I really enjoyed this challenge of kind of pinpointing just two songs that, you know, represent certain things for me. So I'm excited to delve deeper into them. Good. I'm so glad. Yeah. Kylo's first song is called Code Pink. It's performed by the group Emma's Revolution. for introducing me to this song and to this group, which I didn't know about. Yeah. So um, maybe tell me a little bit about how this music came into your life initially. And then, of course, the meat of the question, how does this for you represent where you come from? I really chose this song, I feel, because where, where I'm from, like I had mentioned before, I really came from a home that was very was very guided in that social justice outlook, that realm. And so I was brought to many protests, many events like the one uh, run by SOA Watch. And I could just go and be in a wagon and eat the snacks at the kids' tables and color and hear amazing music like this and sing along without really knowing what it was about. I was just a a little kid running around going to sing-alongs with groups like Emma's Revolution and singing these songs at the top of my lungs, but not really thinking about, like... Why am I here? What are they actually singing about? So, and then I could go home a couple days later or, you know, right after a protest and not have to worry anymore. So I think that's kind of why I chose this song. Like it's such a, it's such a cool song. Like it has such a good beat to it and there's so much passion in it. And so that's what it can really pull in a, a kid who's five, six or seven, you know, over the years, but not, I didn't have to really, understand all the people and the and the events that they were bringing up in it right right i wonder maybe would you like to just very quickly explain what the soa watch is for listeners who might not know yeah so um the school of the americas is a place a school in in georgia that trains a lot of the it's it's a it's a it's a military training group so it trains a lot of individuals who then are sent to then militarize places internationally where they're not welcome and also they've killed many and it's just really horrible groups so this event is like almost a a week long in georgia protesting outside of the school of the americas 
in which people come together to remember those who have been killed by individuals who are trained through this school and mm -hmm. also to bring peace to the surrounding area and spread ways in, in which people can go away and have peace and um so that's why amazing that's groups like Emma's Revolution comes about because in the words and their music really shares um how to bring peace and what groups to join with in order to stop groups like SOA. So and so you're telling me that when you were brought to these protests as a child that that groups like Emma's Revolution would, would actually do sing-alongs for the children who were there while their parents were protesting? You know, there were main protests, the main venue, but then there were kind of places and events surrounding the main stages and um, things like that in which there were activities for children to get involved and to start reflecting at a young age, like what is our role in all of this? And so, yeah, it was kind of a, an escape because it's definitely more upbeat and a lot more smiles and tambourine shaking and less, you know, holding crosses and marching together. So um, I think that also, you know, it also fostered while others were in more intense um, breakout groups I was in the sing-along <laughs> with yeah. groups like this, which is amazing. This is definitely a sing-along type of a song. It's got that kind of swing yeah. to it and, and the repetition of the word code pink all the way through. You, know, you can uh -huh. imagine kind of pumping your fist in time to it. And, yeah. Or hitting a tambourine or whatever, whatever it may be. But what, is, what does the phrase mean in the context you know, of what this group was doing with it? Yeah, so recently I looked up the the name Code Pink because the music came back recently to me. And when I searched up, there's a group called Code Pink, actually, that works doing women's rights, um, looking at militarization and people's rights with regards to that. And so kind of like how it says like Code Pink for freedom, Code Pink for peace, Code yeah. Pink for women. They do a lot. Yep, here it is. Here's their website comes right up. Mm -hmm. Code Pink, a women-led grassroots organization working to end U.S. wars and militarism, mm -hmm. support peace and human rights initiatives, and direct our redirect our tax dollars into healthcare, education, green jobs, and other life-affirming programs. Mm -hmm. So here it is, right on the web and. In the website, I'll make sure to provide a link to them. So it's it's actually a direct reference to, not to a metaphorical concept, but to it, an actual group that's doing group. work in the world. Mm -hmm. The anarchist and activist Emma Goldman, who lived from 1869 to 1940, is commonly credited with the famous words, If I can't dance, I don't want to be part of your revolution. This is the source of the name of the group, Emma's Revolution. In fact, there is no record of Goldman saying those words, but what she did say in this vein is worth quoting. I did not believe that the cause should demand the denial of life and joy. I want freedom, the right to self-expression, everybody's right to beautiful, radiant things. As for the group Emma's Revolution, it is veteran of the U.S. American folk protest music scene. They've released four albums since 2009, 
This respectable commercial success intersects interestingly with a kind of success and recognition among movements that are dedicated to resisting commercialism and capitalism. As we figured out in the interview, Code Pink is an international women-led NGO dedicated to anti-war protest work. I ask in the interview, what does that name mean? Well, it's a sarcastic feminist play on the U.S. federal government's system of color-coding military readiness in national emergencies. Some of us may remember this from the weeks following the 11th of September 2001, Code Red, Code Orange, etc. This song has really got its feet on the ground. It's very, it's plugged into actual events and it's calling out a, a group that really works with those events and... And yet it's also just musically, you know, you mentioned it's got a great beat and it does. It's got that wonderful kind of swinging backbeat that just makes you want to kind of bob your head and, yeah. and sing along if you know the words. And, and uh, so it's, it's a pretty effective piece of political art. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you one more question about it. Yeah. So I could imagine someone listening to, you talking about being a pretty small child brought to these protests and participating in these activities designed for children at the protest site mm-hmm. and thinking, whoa, this is heavy-duty brainwashing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is, this is an uncomfortable truth about music. Y- you yourself said, you know, that you, you didn't necessarily, when you first learned this song and when it was a part of your experience at these protests, you didn't necessarily know what they were singing about, yeah. nor, nor did you care. But the, the song got kind of woven into your consciousness and became a part of who you are, if you will. And, mm-hmm. and it does have these words and it does have an explicit political message. And someone who had a, a different viewpoint on the world than the one that is represented by the SOA protests, Mm. uh, you know, might feel really, really uncomfortable at hearing your story about this. I mean, I think it is definitely interesting to, to have music that is so specific. It's like reading an article, but hearing it through a tune and Yeah, it's interesting then to grow up and to think about, I mean, this is the music I used to listen to, and there's probably a bunch or many other people in my life that would not listen to or agree with this kind of music. And it's interesting to look at art in that way, that someone would disagree with a piece of art. You more think of someone would disagree with a policy or someone would disagree with a person, but not necessarily a song. And so it is interesting to grow up and then to realize, you know, everything that you did is completely different than what a lot of other children did or listened to or. Yeah. Yeah. You really put your finger on it there. (laughs) Yeah. How can you disagree with a song and particularly one as well sung and. Yeah performed and put together is this one. I mean, it's just, it's just got that great swing to it. And I noticed in listening to it, you know, they don't sound angry. Mm. There's some force, there's some edge to their voices, but they actually sound friendly and upbeat and positive through the whole song, which is kind of striking given, it, given the content of the lyrics. Yeah. And yeah, how do you disagree that? And, and the basic message of 
the song is, you know, let's let's get rid of war and hate. And honestly, no one in their right mind disagrees with that. It's just a question of how shall we do this? Yeah. Would someone disagree with a work of art? It's a fundamental principle of Romanticism that art, with a capital A, must be pure, looking beyond the details of life and above all that it not lend itself to political ends. It must be disinterested, or else somehow it's not really art. This real art will supposedly raise us to an ideal place where disagreement just doesn't apply. I think it's from this that Kahlo's question comes. But many artists know that during most of human history, art has simply been the best tool available for expressing, elaborating, understanding, and strengthening the particular positions and viewpoints inhabited by the artists. And so art, with a small a, can very naturally enter into partisan argument. In fact, I'd say art is nourished by disagreement. From this less idealist perspective, Art that pretends to be disinterested frequently reveals itself as a covert attempt to strengthen an established dominant order. However, this perspective also opens the door to the possibility that there is just no such thing as eternal art, nor universal artistic values. Kahlo's question is very important for all of us who value or practice art in any form. Instead of trying to answer it definitively, which would be pretty arrogant, I think the important thing is to keep asking it perhaps with a twist. When should we disagree with a work of art? And actually, this makes a really super cool transition to your second song, I have to say. The songs are connected in many ways. They're kind of thematically mm -hmm. connected, I think. But yeah. your, your second song, the one that points toward your hopes for the future, it, it takes such a different approach. It really, it speaks to exactly this, this question about how art inserts itself into politics and the role that things like songs have in a world where life and death decisions must be made, you know? Definitely. Um, so with your permission, why don't we go directly to the next song and then maybe we can kind of pick up this thread afterwards and, and talk it through a little bit more fully with reference to your second song. Yeah, that's great. So here is Dear Hate. Dear hate, I saw you on the news today, like a shark that takes my breath away, you fall like rain, cover us in drops of pain, I'm afraid that we just might drown. I'm particularly grateful for you introducing me to this song. I feel like there's many moments driving down the 405, listening to the news and all the dreadful things coming at me from the news and feeling like I can't escape them in my little metal box of a car <laughs> and uh, feeling something that points toward despair. Mm. And this song just really addresses that so deftly, so nicely. So... Tell me a little bit about how you came to this song. So I, I was able to hear her in Joshua Tree at this really cool restaurant called Pappy and Harriet's. And so my mom, my dad, and I, we went to the concert there. It was an outdoor concert in the nighttime, just super cool, like, like in the desert. It was just 
probably the best concert I've ever been to. And she started to sing this song and everyone just went quiet and just it's so fitting to any time in play I mean it definitely has like the last song it has specific events and um things listed in it but it just it was so powerful how hearing it live but just hearing her message and just really beautiful just really strong storytelling in it um yeah. So that was a really amazing introduction to it, I feel. Um, <laughs> That's pretty amazing, yeah. Yeah. I just imagine sitting out and, you know, the, the stars are twice as many and twice as big. Up. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, it's, well, even, you know, even over my little computer speakers, it's just, it's got a kind of a, a magic to it, for sure. Yeah. Oh, totally. And And so I think in my you know, in my next steps that going to college in the fall, I, and just with everything going on, I mean, there is a lot of hate around us right now, a lot of conflict and um, a lot of sadness that I think it really sneaks up on us in different ways and it's all encompassing. And just like you said, I mean, you can't, when you're, when you're listening to it in your car and you can't really escape it, Mm. I almost feel like we can't really escape it. Even if we're outdoors, like in an open space. And so I think as I move forward, I, I've had to find myself kind of taking deep breaths and really remembering how lucky I am and all the love that I have in my own life and also just all the love that's coming out of all these hard times, the different movements and people coming together to care for each other. I feel like this song is just very... While it can, while it hit me emotionally two years ago when I felt very worry-free in the middle of the desert, I I I feel like it hits you even more when there's actual hate around you. And so, when choosing the song for this specifically, I was like, oh, this is just hearing it again. I was like, it it adds clarity to your life, but also it just. It's just a, a beautiful song to listen to. It is really a beautiful song. Yeah, it just lays it out there, but in such a gentle, resonant kind of a way. Mm-hmm. The title, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you told me what your two songs were, I'm like, dear hate, what the heck? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've, I've heard the song several times. I was like, okay, I get it. But <laughs> I, I think... Let's let's talk for a minute about that title. I'm just interested in what you think about that title. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I mean, I always find like "dear" to be such um, a kind word, so I feel like it's also shows its kind approach to exactly the exactly. idea of hate, like. You know, you've done a lot of horrible things, but I'm still going to be civil and say, hey, dear hate, even though you've led to the end of many lives and it's it's definitely kinder than it could be, but 
I don't know. <laughs> I guess well, you are, you're definitely pointed in the direction that I had been thinking about it. I, it just brought, you know, I thought about it for a few minutes and it brought <laughs> me back to Dr. King's famous phrase, mm. darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate mm. cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Mm. And it seems to me it's almost like a direct reference to that very, very famous quote. And it's, it's like if, if you're going to take on hate, which is a big proposition, mm-hmm. this is the way to do it. Yeah. And it's not the easy way. You know, to live up to that phrase, you know, not many of us can manage it all the time. But a song like this is, can almost be an anthem for that effort. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read much fiction, Kahlo, but I, I read a book recently. It, it's called The Nickel Boys. Mm. It's a novel by an African-American author named Colson Whitehead. Uh-huh. And he takes on that very phrase. It's fiction, so he takes it on through his principal character, who, growing up, African-American in the South in a certain period and with all that entailed comes across recordings of Dr. King's sermons and he hears that phrase and he takes it into his heart and in the end he can't really live up to it and that's part of what the novel is about is just how hard that really is when hate is coming directly at you Mm -hmm. to meet it with love just how difficult that really is. It's, the novel is a rough ride, but it also really makes you think about this, that it's one thing to, to repeat that beautiful quote, yeah. and it's another thing to really live it, I think. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The book by Dr. King in which this much-quoted phrase appears is Strength to Love, first published in 1963. It is a collection of his own sermons. Dr. King preached many times on the theme of loving one's enemies, as it appears in the Bible's book of St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 to 45. And he is explicit that this is difficult. The very title of the book suggests that this kind of love is not yielding nor sentimental, and it does not acquiesce to wrongdoing. Nor, however, does it ever enter into violence. Dr. King departs from the Bible to suggest that it constitutes a third way, the way of nonviolent collective action. This is the philosophy espoused by groups like SOA Watch and Code Pink. Colson Whitehead's novel, The Nickel Boys, has received much-deserved recognition and won a number of national awards. It recounts fictional events at a non-fictional place, the Arthur G. Dozier School for Boys, a so-called reform school in Florida, where boys were abused, tortured, and murdered for generations before it was finally closed down less than 10 years ago. Mr. Whitehead has said he felt compelled to tell this grueling story to contribute to urgent national processes of reckoning with our histories of abuse and oppression. And it's pretty clear that he himself doubts the possibility that Dr. King's third way can prevail against the kind of entrenched systemic hatred that has made atrocities like the Dozier School possible. Indeed, it would be naive not to recognize that the likelihood of love overcoming hate in this world is slender at best. 
In the end, the question of how to face hatred is one that every individual must resolve for themselves. And resolve it, not once and for all, but every day, many times, and on many levels. As Kahlo was lucky enough to learn very young, music can help us maintain our resolve. Definitely. And, yeah, that's definitely... It's interesting because I think it's super easy, or very easy to sing along to this song and sing along to even just going back to my my first song choice how easy it is to sing along to those songs and that's what music does for you you know you can sing along to any song you want but it's a matter of taking those messages and taking what they're urging you to do or what they're trying to spread awareness about and actually utilizing art in that way I feel as though I can I can get off pretty easy with seeing art for art and not necessarily as a lesson. And so that's that's one thing that art is beautiful because I think it can kind of, you know, uh, mesh or wedge itself into your life and to kind of spread different ideas into you. I listen to music a lot of the time just because it has a catchy phrase in it or a beat that just, you know, gets you in the right mood for a certain thing you're about to do or that you're in the middle of doing. Um, and but, but all music has a message and it has an intention. And it's such an amazing outlet to tell stories and share certain experiences that artists are having. If someone's saying a speech or you read an article that they wrote, I think music, it more easily comes into us and we're more easily um, convinced to listen to certain things or more able to take it in. Yes. Especially nowadays where we're reading and writing and doing all these things and moving a hundred miles per minute, our brains are all over the place. I think it's, for me, it's easier because music so easily enters us. It's Mm. easier to let go of the message or the thing that they're trying, it's trying to teach us. And so I think with how easy it is to say that quote by Dr. Martin Luther King or to sing along to this song, it's it's definitely much harder to live it out because it is so easy to take in. I don't know if that made any sense. Little sense. In fact, I'm just kind of flabbergasted at how beautifully you're putting one of the fundamental reasons that I have been a musician all my life and that, mm. and that I'm also a, a, a scholar of music, you know, mm. is exactly this way that it enters into us so easily, as you say. And yet when the song is over, what comes next? Yeah. What do you do now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the tricky part. That's mm. the tricky part. This song is definitely going to go onto my personal playlist. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is that when, you know, maybe you've decided to take on the implicit challenge of hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're trying to live your life that way, but it's hard and it gets you down sometimes. Yeah. 
a song like this can kind of just come in at a good moment and and bear you up again, you know? It's It's got that kind of gentleness, sort of powerful gentleness, I guess I would say. Definitely. Yeah, thank you so much for introducing it to me. Yeah. Wow, all right, well, what a, what a beautiful interview. Thank you so much, Kala. Thank you so much. It's so, it's, it's so special to hear your perspective on certain songs, on the songs that I shared. I, I feel as though I kind of chose them. I mean, there's so much music out there, right? And that you, you live with day to day. Mm. And I feel as though both of those songs, it was, it was easy to kind of decide, okay, yeah, this is what it depicts, but just how beautiful, how you're able to take it further. With both of these songs, I kind of never thought about it in the way that you had prompted me to think about it before. So I really appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you. You just made my day. I mean, I, I suppose all those years at the university and everything, you know, they probably count for something. <laughs> <laughs> but I, no, I really sincerely appreciate that. Yeah, but, but you know, it, this happens because we're having a conversation. Mm. I mean, I could, I could write down my thoughts about the song and send them to email and it would leave you cold. It, it's because we're actually sharing ideas that this works. There are few things more inspiring than talking to young people who are finding their words and their paths toward being strong, conscious, proactive people in the world. Right here is where I find my greatest hope. Would you like to know more? On our website at ciofuera.org, you can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further, and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date, and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Cio Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen. And do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvan make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. Si yo fuera una canción, sonarían por las calles, las montañas y los valles, mi orgullo y mi pasión. ¿Quién soy yo de corazón? Soy una ola, soy una onda, una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo. Y sonando soy testigo a nuestra unidad más honda.